Welcome to the Kernel DeFi Podcast. My name is Sean DeManta, and I'm here to explore the past, present, and future of the DeFi industry with you. In today's episode, we have Ali Rizvi, a former Kernel Fellow and current co-founder of Billions Health and Hashbase on the podcast, and you're in for a treat. You're going to learn a couple things. So one, you're going to learn all about the health and Web3 space. So if you've heard of anything like Steppen, uh, which is the move to earn platform on Solana, then you're going to hear a, a very interesting variation of that with the DeFi angle and Hashbase. Two, you're going to learn a lot about the kernel experience. So Ali talks a lot about what he got out of kernel, as well as how that changed his course for his and his co-founders course for Billions Health, as well as Hashspace and some other experiments that they've been running in the form of different projects. And then there's also a bonus opportunity for you to learn um, about non-dilutive funding opportunities as you start to build and some initial steps that you can take to build as a Web3 builder. Um, including entering hackathons and earning a lot of non-dilutive funding as well as potential partnerships. So I, I think you'll be in for a treat today. I uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Ali, to the Kernel DeFi podcast. We're so glad to have you and your first guest, who is a former Kernel fellow. We are excited to learn more about Hashspace and Billions Health. But before we get started, I wanted to learn a bit more about your background. Amazing. Thank you so much for inviting us over. Uh, in terms of background, I am originally from Pakistan, started out as an electronics engineer, uh, then had the opportunity to come to Oxford and study uh, for a PhD. Uh, so I studied AI and was looking at financial markets. And that was also the time when crypto was really starting to come into the public conscious. And uh, so pivoted my research a little bit, started looking at how information is flowing between different uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, after that, went to McKinsey for a little bit and was working on public health institutions and insurance companies. Uh, then went to Arrival, which uh, was one, it has been one of UK's biggest tech decacorns in the electric vehicles market. Um, and then went to Entrepreneur First, which is a startup incubator here in London and in many other cities. And that's where I met Chris. And we have been working on Billions Health, as part of which we have also created Hatspace. You have such a diverse background, AI, ML, electric cars, economics, and so much more. And I'd love to learn the founding story of Billions Health and how that led you to explore many of the other projects like Hashspace. Amazing. So basically, because we were both coming from the worlds of big data and machine learning um, and uh, health and health access um, has been an important part of both of our journeys, uh, me coming from Pakistan and of course, Chris, because of his career, um, we recognize that one of the biggest challenges in actually making big medical discoveries is the access to large scale data. And uh, because I was coming from the financial side, when you look at medical data, it actually almost seems very small by sample size almost because it's really, really hard to incentivize people to give access to their health data. 
And we wanted to create something that could really make a dent in that problem and really push the field forward and incentivize the average user who considers themselves healthy and doesn't really have a large trove of information or health data on themselves to actually give something um, for scientific research. And that's uh, how Billions Health started coming into form and we were and uh, created it uh, as part of Entrepreneur First. And yeah, starting to realize that as it enables a lot of these mechanisms of creating data, but retaining ownership of that data yourself. So the concepts of self-sovereignty and data privacy while kind of having transparency uh, of things on the blockchain, those were then concepts that started also becoming part of our concept. Um, and we then looked at what could incentivize people to actually go ahead and then contribute that data. And we landed on this idea that actually blockchain games and health-focused games uh, could be a meaningful way for incentivizing people to actually create a trove of health information on themselves. Um, and so over the last six months, we have been developing several different games which use health data as part of the game mechanics. And uh, Hashspace has been the fourth game of this kind. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's been the latest game we released, which ended up uh, winning Hack Money. And uh, yeah, would love to talk more about that as well, yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations on the huge win and Hack Money for Hashspace. I wanted to take a step back before going into Hashspace to better understand your experience coming into Kernel with the original idea for Billions Health, how that evolved through some of your conversations with the community and through going through the curriculum and how that's affected some of your thinking on some of the latest projects that you've been working on, including Hashspace. Yeah, absolutely. So actually when we were going through EF, uh, uh, one of our very good friends, Sizzle, she was going through kernel block four. Uh, and it was really amazing to see the kind of community that she was part of. And so when Block 5 rolled around, she encouraged us both to apply. So we both applied as a team uh, as part of Billions Health and uh, thankfully got accepted. We had the interview with Andy, which was actually super memorable for us. Um, and it kind of like made us understand more about like why we really wanted to be part of this particular community because um, it was not like a community about hype or shilling. It was like about the values of building. And we were really at that point in our creative career where we really were looking at what would make this work, this idea of self-sovereign health data ownership. Um, because we were looking at, oh, what would it mean if like this data needs to live for 200 years, but its privacy needs to be preserved. And so looking at the kernel uh, curriculum, we realized, wow, the, these this ethos and these values really resonate with us. Um, and then, yeah, like when we came in, um, the, uh, Sizzle again was very kind with her advice on how to navigate kernel. And she really was like, you will get what you put in. Um, and so sort of we went all in for the the time that kernel block 5 was full, fully on and just really loved um, the conversations that it sparked and the 
kind of nuggets of wisdom you got in any meeting you stumbled into. Um, and so it was quite formative, I think, in our uh, builder journey, but also in what we are now creating and the ways in which we think about Web3. That's amazing to hear about how the ethos of Kernel and some of the principles have really shaped how you've thought about building both Billion's Health and some of the other projects you've pursued in the blockchain games times health space. I wanted to focus a little more on your post-Kernel fellowship journey and more specifically on the principles you are trying to explore and experiments you're trying to run in addition to diving a little deeper into hash space. Yeah, actually, uh, so one of the biggest uh, influences during Kernel on us was the team that is building Atlantis World. And uh, especially when we were talking to CJ, um, he mentioned about working in Web3 in a kind of non-dilutive way. So they, they raised a lot of their uh, runway through grant funding, through hackathons, and through building in public. And that really inspired us to go down this route of really living the hackathon lifestyle and looking at grant funding. So it was a really, really pivotal conversation for us uh, to come in touch with uh, the founders of Atlantis World through Kernel. And that was the reason we actually started looking at ETH Amsterdam and these places where a lot of these hackathons were happening. Um, because it's amazing to just then find other like-minded people and build with them. So what we did was we, um, through those hackathons, we ended up building these four games. And uh, in ETH Amsterdam, we found like some amazing people and worked with them on, on a game concept. Then um, Chris and I worked on a game concept that sort of started during Kernel called Yellow Umbrella, which is around genetic data and minting uh, your unique uh, genetic signature as an NFT. Then we created Sleep Staker as part of the Oasis Bloom Hackathon, which was about uh, creating so sort of challenges against your friends uh, and, and who can win by getting the best quality of sleep. And then Hashspace uh, was created uh, during uh, the Polygon Hackathon and the uh, Hack Money uh, Eat Global Hackathon. Um, and again, the concept being taking health data, combining it with an in-game narrative and combining with DeFi rewards to educate and incentivize players uh, to explore different protocols. And so that's been the approach to kind of use the grant funding and the hack wins to sustain our development uh, without sort of adding the pressure for now of uh, dilutive or equity-based uh, raises. That's amazing you've been able to secure so many forms of non-dilutive funding through the hackathons and other formats like Gitcoin grants. I wanted to learn a bit more about Hashspace and specifically the connection to health. Yeah, absolutely. And before we jump into that, I just want to also give a huge shout out to the Gitcoin grants because we did that during KB5 and all the stewards in Kernel were so amazingly helpful in actually introducing us to what Gitcoin grants were and then really pushing 
on what a good grant proposal would look like, getting it live on the platform and actually helping us fundraise. So massive shout out to the stewards in uh, Kernel as well for introducing us to the that uh, kind of quadratic funding uh, opportunities that exist in Web3. Uh, coming back to uh, what you're saying about Hashbase. So uh, basically the way we crafted Hashbase is to combine HealthFi, DeFi and GameFi principles. And um, you as an individual uh, take your steps and these steps fuel an NFT spaceship in the game. And using the spaceship, you can travel around to different planets in the galaxy. And these planets actually serve as DeFi vaults. Um, so each planet represents a different yield generating vault, and they can be from Aave or Yearn or Compound, etc. And as a player, you can get educated on the different DeFi protocols, but then also the reward that you can get is based on the yield that these uh, vaults or protocols are generating. So it's really uh, kind of for the user without uh, having to uh, set up or deal with the complexity of learning about all of these um, protocols firsthand by investing their own money, they, provide them this opportunity to explore what protocols are out there, uh, what maybe their nuances are, while also then earning the reward from the yield directly whenever they visit these planets. And so, of course, because the spaceships are powered by footsteps, it incentivizes healthy behavior. So you can't just like sit in your living room and just like gather the yield from all the places, but it actually um, incentivizes you to go out there and walk and, and sustain that healthy lifestyle. So what I'm hearing is the model is actually walk to learn to earn. Is the, <laughs> the yes, uh, or become healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> All very worthwhile goals for anybody in our audience. I know that there's been a lot of exploration of health and wellness in the Web3 space. Specifically, Stepin has grown a huge engaged user base. What other ideas do you think are worth pursuing in the health and wellness DeFi Web3 space? Yeah, and Stepin has been like a really amazing influence for inspiration for us uh, because just looking at the last few months, there have been a couple of kind of interesting trends and phenomena that we have seen emerge just in crypto, like uh, the Olympus forks were happening um, kind of late last year and really mushrooming all over the place. And that was an interesting thing because it was showing different kinds of um, facets of DeFi emerging and like different kinds of things uh, in DeFi innovations were emerging there. And then Stepin came in and made so many waves and that really suddenly put that HealthFi angle on everybody's minds and like started uh, a lot of uh, other projects that were using similar uh, mechanics to incentivize people. Um, and actually that had a crossover in refi as well, where a lot of people got inspired by those mechanics and tried to do many things in refi. Uh, for us right now, um, what we are seeing, and this actually also uh, came from one of the mentors in Kernel, uh, Katze, um, who has been an amazing kind of mentor throughout the different uh, project presentations, um, she mentioned to us how PlayFi was becoming the next major important trend. 
Um, and it was right around the time when we were shaping Yellow Umbrella, our genetic NFT game. Uh, and that got us really thinking, what is it that we were trying to do, like to incentivize these healthy behaviors? How can we actually make it fun for people and not just like have to continuously appeal to like, oh, just do this out of the goodness of your heart? Like, how can we really align players and our incentives and research incentives together? And that's where this concept of PlayFi and GameFi really came together. And we are really seeing that right now, that despite the sort of bear market, a lot of the PlayFi style projects are going on and they are able to continue to build and sustain themselves because that's part of the amazing thing about the bear market is that gaming can survive this kind of market much better than other things uh, because gaming can really tap into a user base much more readily. Um, and so that is kind of the thread that we are pushing on is how can we continue to combine GameFi and DeFi to make a sustainable virtuous reward cycle to incentivize players to play and move beyond just kind of like play to earn so that because in play to earn your incentive is just the earn whereas a lot of the games people play right now your big hits like pokemon go or even um kind of other like candy crush style games people play them because the games are somehow interesting for them to play there is no earn component really for people directly like rather people are paying money to like level up in these games a lot of the time um, so that's what we are trying to really do is can we make the game interesting on its own while then actually having those play to earn style incentives and rewards as a as an added cherry on top. For those in the audience not familiar with the term PlayFi, how would you distinguish that from GameFi? Yeah, actually, like, yeah, I probably like th this would become semantics. I, I don't think I would have a like good nuanced distinction between the two, but I would almost say that um, you can the PlayFi is similar to in my head gamification because you can like gamify a lot of things without them being games. And so PlayFi is kind of a more umbrella term where anything can be turned into play while GameFi is specifically where games meet finance, uh, financial kind of incentives, whereas PlayFi maybe is a more broader umbrella term um, where somebody's incentivized in play-like ways. That would be the only nuance I might draw, um, but yeah. A lot of the experiments run in the PlayFi and GameFi space, specifically with regards to healthcare engagement, seem to parallel a lot of the experiments that have happened in the gamification world, specifically around badges, leaderboards. You see this with Fitbit, Peloton, Apple Watch, and the like. But does Web3 introducing the token and the tokenomics around move to earn ultimately change the game? much more so than these previous attempts at gamification and engagement? I think it is sort of uh, filling in the gaps in the value chain of data, actually, that is coming in here. Because um, if somebody is taking steps and you're paying them money for taking those steps, somehow those steps need to be valuable upstream so that somehow you can monetize or they can monetize that step data. 
And then that kind of closes the loop with researchers who are looking for this data and would be uh, keen to pay for that kind of data service. And right now th that value loop is broken and somebody gave me this amazing definition of Web3 or what blockchains are doing is that it makes value transfer frictionless. The same way that Web2 or just early internet made informational transfer uh, frictionless that you could be anywhere in the world and Wikipedia was at your fingertips. Similarly, what blockchain and Web3 are truly unlocking is that value transfer has become frictionless. So now previously, yes, Apple was trying to incentivize people with these badges, but at the end of the day, they wanted to kind of like have this ability to create new insights from this data. And that's why they wanted to incentivize people to do that. But now the thing we can do is make you a stakeholder in whatever would happen with that data. And that's what we are seeing with a lot of the DSI style movements as well, that you can be the data creator and can monetize it and benefit from it and have transparency and control and consent. Um, and I think that's what the truly breakthrough here is. Uh, the tokens are just a means of actually making all of that transaction pipeline take place. So self-sovereignty seems to be a key advantage over some of these centralized players. You actually have a stake in the engagement data that some of these companies generate like Stepin. I know that one of the key criticisms of Stepin and for those that have not heard of Stepin, I just wanted to take a step back and say that Stepin is a move to earn game that's facilitated by a mobile app that tracks your steps. You can essentially buy a sneaker NFT, which has certain properties. And as you walk and use that sneaker NFT, you earn certain fungible tokens. One thing I wanted to better understand among some of the criticisms of Stepin is the Ponzonomics of the fungible token earning aspect of it, whereby early participants benefit much more so than later participants. And I know this is a particular topic of interest of yours, given some of your activities during the Kernel Fellowship, engaging with Lisa Tan in her book on token design. So would love to get your take. Yeah, and actually it's it's really interesting. So there were three key influences in the we are right now trying to think of the token behaviors. So one was uh, uh, Lisa Tan's interview that we did when we when she came and talked to us in Kernel, and she mentioned something about how is value gonna accrue to your token? Like, what is this mechanism by which whatever is happening in your ecosystem? How are you gonna capture that value into your token? And that left a very lasting impactful question that that we have been mulling over. The second was actually that um, just before ETH Amsterdam, we had a very great conversation uh, with one of the founders of DeFi Alliance. And uh, they're obviously investors in Stepin and various other games. And they uh, really pushed us in that conversation about what are the sources and sinks of tokens? Because they mentioned that, yes, a lot of these games and uh, that are coming, they, they have this challenge of emissions and inflationary emissions. And that was, again, an impactful conversation for us to really like be like, oh, we can't just, you know, go this route that easily. Um, 
And I think the third one has been seeing like the struggles of uh, the Olympus forks and like the things that happened in Time Wonderland because they again like whatever the political challenges aside, they were really interesting studies and what an inflationary tokens mechanics can look like and the challenges it produces in terms of producing value. So those three influences have been, I think, the key things for us to think about. And the way what we did in Hashspace initially is there there are no emission, there's no emissions, there are no tokens. The people who join the game, they're getting this NFT starship, which is populating a treasury, which is then deployed and generating yield. But the the tokenomics of the the yield have are part of the game mechanics but haven't been kind of formalized as an emissioned token yet we are still trying to formulate okay like what can be a sustainable way what are the important sources and things that balance out if we introduce a token um and it's not a light uh, question to be taken lightly anymore because what happens i'm realizing what what happens in tokenomics is it's very much a pnp type of problem like if you see a model is introduced then you sort of get get blindfolded sorry uh, you get blinders and you just like are looking at oh this is a solution and your mind just keeps going okay this is a solution um until you really like break out of the box and come up with something new and innovative so the challenge with step and success can be that you sort of get just down that path and can't, can't really figure out, oh, is there any other way? Uh, but hopefully if, as we find other ways, that's where the really groundbreaking innovation happens. And hopefully we'll have something along those lines coming coming soon. Definitely, I think there's been a lot of experiments in the tokenomic space and I'm really hopeful that some of this thinking around sources and sinks and inflationary emissions can start to be baked into some newer tokenomics models, which are healthier and more sustainable beyond some of the ponzonomics that exist today. Taking a bit of a pivot into the healthcare and medical world beyond health and wellness, I'd love to get your take on how data engagement plays out in more clinical medical grade types of use cases, uh, specifically patients participating in clinical research or medical care yeah so the way we chopped up the problem space was that um the kind of data that we produce on ourselves you can think of it in three kind of categories one is data that is quantified with a digital device and it's more standardized uh you can compare a little bit apples to apples so if i'm doing my steps with an Apple Watch and you are doing your steps, we uh, we can sort of agree that like who has done more steps because we, we trust in the data source. Um, then there is a second category of data, which is a professional's assessment of you, which which is medical health records, any MRI scans, anything that, that is being done by uh, in the kind of traditional healthcare system. Um, and unfortunately, that is a very, very challenging data set because it's uh, not really standardized across the world. Everybody has different quantities of it on themselves. Um, and usually it's just like so good, um, that it's very hard to kind of keep all of their data on one, per one person in one place. And, and then the final one is sort of self-assessment data, things that you can write or verbally describe uh, this can be data on your mental health, how you're feeling on a certain day. 
or any survey style data. And that actually becomes even more nebulous because everybody's assessment of how they are is very subjective. Uh, and so in those kind of like scale, uh, the first category is probably the more easier to target. And it includes things like genetic data because again, it's fairly standardized globally. Um, and that's where like we started with the whole pipeline, but that's where we have decided to focus that if we can bring data from that category as well, like then that would still be a major contribution. Um, what we realized when talking to users and patient groups and healthy people uh, was that usually people who have had a condition in the past or are currently managing a condition, they're very hyper-focused on kind of tracking their vitals, tracking their health. Um, they have a lot of data on themselves. Uh, but the challenge becomes when you compare it to healthy population data, there's not that much of it because people just are like, didn't really need it, have always been healthy. So those baselines can be really challenging to get. Um, and that's where we have gone into the game angle is to incentivize your wider population to start gathering that trove of information and data on themselves so that then that, that can help us compare and contrast uh, with the rest of the people who might have conditions on coming up with, okay, what is different in a healthy person versus a person with a condition. And so that's what we are working towards that hopefully through the means of these games, we can gather more and more data from digital devices and people can then own that data and they can provide that consent for that data to be shared with researchers and then hopefully contribute towards scientific breakthroughs. So taking a step back more broadly into DeFi overall, I know that you mentioned a few different projects like the Olympus Forks and a number of other experiments that have been tried out in the so-called DeFi 2.0 movement. And wanted to understand your take on what are some of the best opportunities for DeFi builders and spaces to tackle during this bear market. Yeah, absolutely. And I think here, uh, my experience of how things have progressed in Pakistan really comes into play is because um, I, I've seen that different countries have a very different kind of adoption curve when it comes to some of these new technologies. Uh, so for example, in Pakistan, mobile adoption happened much, much earlier than the West. And it was just because the local landline infrastructure was quite old and just like very unreliable. So when mobile started becoming a thing, people just leapfrogged. And whereas in the West, it was good enough that there was no real friction for people to want to turn to the other thing. And I think that's the same case with DeFi right now, that in the West, a lot of people have to be convinced because things are sort of good enough that there is not that massive a friction point. Like if you say to somebody like, oh, like you could do this in Ethereum or you could do that on the blockchain. They're like, well, I can do that in my open banking or, but in non-Western economies, a lot of those infrastructure things don't exist. A lot of people don't have bank accounts. So one thing, one big thing is KYC. The way KYC is structured is really grounded on you having a credit card or you having these forms of ID um, that can prove. And even a massive democracy, like a massive population like India only recently introduced Aadhaar card and they have just gone a very different way of doing KYC uh, for, for their population. So 
Rethinking KYC, I think, is one major, major thing, especially because we have to realize that if we talk about mass scale adoptions, your large populations are in Nigeria, in Brazil, in Pakistan, in Indonesia, in China. They're they're not in European countries. And so that's one thing. The second thing is um, this frictionless of the, the security of a mobile phone. We sort of take it for granted because security is very different here. Whereas I think in different geographies, your mobile phone can be snatched. You can lose it. You you may not have internet all the time. All of those factors and how does DeFi need to play with irregular internet, irregular mobile phone usage, having multiple different SIMs uh, in, in a mobile phone. And how can, and so kind of like what uh, Cello Network is doing, like is really thinking about that type of problem. And I think that is, again, a very important thing to think about. The third thing is mobile payments, because in the absence of traditional bank accounts, mobile payments have become sort of the de facto financial transactional network in a lot of economies. And so in Pakistan, I can literally, if I need to send somebody money, I don't open my bank app, I open my mobile phone app, and I go there and transfer somebody a credit through my mobile network providers app, and then they can go to the corner shop and just get money there. And so if we can do that kind of thing with with DeFi, that would be amazing. And I had this like weird moment when I was asking a cousin like, hey, I, I want to send you money. What's your bank account details? And he said, I don't have a bank account. Uh, I can make one if you want. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, then what's the easiest way to send you money? He said, you can send me crypto and I'll get it out via something like Tornado Cash. And I was just like blown away by that, that, uh, that here, like, we just are not thinking in like that kind of infrastructure's needs. So those would be, I think, my top three things that DeFi can address is these non-Western markets are the big population pools and they're just functioning in different ways of financial infrastructure and we need to cater to that. That is such a great insight to focus on markets beyond the US and the EU to really some of the strong growing economies and opportunities out there across many, many different geographies and populations. I think one of the benefits of being in kernel is that you're exposed to individuals from across the globe with many, many different perspectives. So hopefully if some of you decide to join our upcoming fellowship, you're going to get exposed to some of that. Now I wanted to take a final step back and decompose from your perspective, Ollie, what it takes for builders to take that first step to make that leap and start building in DeFi and start to actually win hackathons, get non-dilutive funding and get started in this space. How does the next builder out there become like you, Ali? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you can do a couple of things. I would say the first would be probably starting to build a toolkit around whatever you're good in. It doesn't have to be programming because any DeFi project or any Web3 project actually requires a lot of different skills. 
yes, development is one and the full stack and Solidity stuff obviously is extremely valuable, but so is front end and user facing stuff and graphic design and the visuals of it and communicating it and community building and marketing that project or even the user experience angle of like, this makes sense, this doesn't make sense, this is intuitive, this is not. And so all of these different skill sets are valuable. So whichever one of these resonates for you, I think starting with really, really sharpening that craft, if you already have it or learning it, if you if you don't yet. Um, and then I would say going to an in-person or an online hackathon, there are so many of them, despite the bear market, there are several. There's one starting with Polygon on 15th of uh, July and it's a month-long hackathon and there are several month-long hackathons uh, that are happening uh, all the time and what is the advantage of these hackathons is that you can form five people teams and you can so basically immediately you suddenly get this magical network of five builders that you you know now in in web3 and you can coalesce around an idea and try to do something and create something and it's pretty risk free because the project is like okay even if it fails so what like it it was a it was a weekender project that that you did um and then the the final thing i would say is like being on that building journey is um start kind of really thinking about what is the thing that you want to get out of it as an experience uh, because the building journey is a like has highs and lows and you need to know what your is for building so that whenever you are going through that low, you can tap in and remember why you started this. So just like remembering and building uh, why you're doing it is important um, because if you have some kind of nebulous thing that, oh, I just want to change my career or uh, make sure you are running towards something, not just running away from something um, so that, so that, you can sustain that motivation. Those would be some of the things I would say on how to get started with building. Finally, are there any asks that you have for our audience, whether that's to check out Hashspace or do anything else in the Web3 space? I think my ask would be uh, to, A, if you are a builder, go check out all the amazing resources that are available from Kernel. Like online, you can just go read them and they're an amazing rabbit hole of learnings. Uh, go learn that. All the recordings from Kernel are on YouTube and you can you can really get the sense of what this community has been about. Um, for for Hashspace, uh, the demo is completely live on hashspace.quest. Uh, and you can go and play and it's available on Oasis and Polygon and Arbitrum. Uh, and thirdly, um, go support a DeFi project that you care about because there are so many amazing regenerative finance projects uh, popping up uh, who need your support right now because in the bear, a lot of them are struggling to secure grant funding. So if something appeals to you, go buy their NFT, go support. Uh, if you care about women's education, find an NFT project. If you care about a certain disease, check out VitaDAO and all these decide uh, projects. If you care about the climate, there are so many climate projects. Um, but more than ever right now, these projects really, really need your love and support. And uh, yeah, so if you've got, or or go to Gitcoin Grants and give $10 to a project that appeals to you. Uh, that's That's what I would say. That's a wonderful message to end off the podcast on. Support the projects you really believe in, whether that's buying an NFT, 
making a financial commitment through Gitcoin grants or some other way of showing your support. I wanted to thank you again, Ali, for your time and coming on the podcast. This has been a fantastic conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much for inviting, Sean. Have a lovely day.